0: Hello, and welcome to episode 56 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. Before I get into today's topic, I want to start by saying thank you to everyone who has emailed me sharing how the show has helped you as a manager. It is so meaningful to hear in your own words how the topics or my particular approach to management has been valuable to you. And it's one of my favorite moments of the day when I open up my email and I get to read something directly from a listener. You all are the reason that I put all the time and energy that I do into the show. So your words of encouragement and thanks really go a long way. In addition to these lovely notes, thank you to everyone who has responded to my new course questionnaire. If you have not yet, I really want to know what you struggle with as a manager. So go to MamieKS.com new course and tell me, when it comes to being a manager, what's your single biggest challenge or frustration? The answer to that question will help me not only build content that is useful to you for this course, but also help decide on what topics I want to cover for the show, which leads me to today's episode. One thing that I have loved about producing The Modern Manager is that it gives me a reason to dig into topics and learn more myself. Today, we're talking about psychological safety. I don't pretend to be an expert, and I don't even feel like I have extensive experience on this topic but it is so important for managers that I wanted to learn more and I wanna share what I've been learning with you. The concept of psychological safety describes people's perceptions of the consequences of taking interpersonal risks in a particular context. I know that was a mouthful. So in other words, what do I expect will happen if I speak up at work? The concept was first explored in the 1960s and then it got a lot of attention in the 1990s through to the present including some research done at Google where they attributed successful teamwork to psychological safety. Much of what I'm going to share today, I learned from the book, The Fearless Organization, Creating Psychological Safety in the Workplace for Learning, Innovation and Growth by Amy C. Edmondson. If you're interested in this topic, there is tons more that she shares with lots of great examples across industries, and I highly recommend the book. I'm not gonna go into everything in today's episode. I'll touch on what psychological safety looks like in the workplace and why it's so important, the difference between psychological safety and trust, why people don't speak up and what you can start to do to change that. So let's get to it. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rockstar boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer stewart Before I go too deep on you, I want to set the stage about what psychological safety looks like because it's kind of an elusive concept. In practice, psychological safety is about the back and forth exchange people have at work, whether that be by email or Slack, could be in a meeting or chatting in the hallway. Within those conversations, It's a matter of whether someone speaks up when they have a different point of view, notice a mistake they or a colleague have made, or have a question, or have bad news, or feedback to share, or really anything where there is the potential risk of looking stupid or incompetent and being seen as a failure, or even coming across as mean or argumentative. Really, any situation where you feel like you're putting yourself out there. Just think for a moment about all the times that you didn't speak up in the last week or the last month. How many times did you want to say something or ask a question to your colleagues or your boss, but then didn't because you were afraid of how they would respond or what they would think of you? And we're the managers, so if we're not always feeling safe to share, imagine how your team members must feel. What's so challenging is that we can't see when someone doesn't speak up. It's a silent act, so no one knows except the person who didn't talk. And even for them, they may not always recognize it as coming out of fear. It may be rationalized away as they know what they're doing. I must just be missing something. I know I have had that exact thought not that long ago. Or they might feel like, oh, it's not that important or someone else would have said it. Or even everyone's so excited about this. I don't want to rain on their parade. I'm sure we can figure out how to make this work. Or a myriad of other excuses. And because not speaking up is invisible, it's almost impossible to engage in real-time course correction, which gives psychologically safe workplaces a powerful advantage when it comes to delivering quality, being nimble and creative, and basically being successful in today's world, whether you're talking about customer service teams or boardrooms. Every manager should be thinking about and working on psychological safety because it is the underpinning of everything else within your team and it's generated and sustained at the team level, which means you actually have control over it. A lot of times I talk to managers who feel like they're fighting an uphill battle because of the culture of their organization that they're living in. But psychological safety exists separate from that culture, and often different teams within the same organization will have different experiences of psychological safety. That's because psychological safety is highly influenced by local leaders, Now, that being said, if you are an organizational leader, you can set the tone and implement structures and processes so that managers and teams throughout the organization are more likely to develop psychological safety on their teams. Now, one point of clarification. Psychological safety and trust are not the same thing. They are related in that psychological safety is easier to develop and maintain when there is trust and respect already amongst the team members. But high levels of trust do not automatically mean high levels of psychological safety. That's because psychological safety is a function of the group, where trust is between two individuals. They're also different in that psychological safety describes an immediate experience. So in terms of trust, do I trust you in this moment to respond to me by giving me the benefit of the doubt if you don't like what I have to say? While trust in general is about some future moment. Do I trust you to act in a specific way in the future? Whether that be to get work done, to keep a confidence, to share information with me. So yes, trust is critical. But what we're really talking about here is fear. Because most of us prefer to be personally safe, even if the result of playing it safe means we may be underperforming, or we may become dissatisfied at work, or we may even be putting the organization or our customers at risk. The author points to numerous studies that consistently show that, quote, people often hold back even when they believe that what they have to say could be important for the organization, for the customer, or for themselves. So there's no big win that comes from staying silent. So why is it so hard to speak up? First off, many of us have inherited beliefs from our experiences as students or with our parents and friends or in other work environments that it's better to be safe than sorry. And when I say sorry, I don't mean sorry that I didn't speak up. I mean, sorry that I said something and now I'm getting my head bit off or I started some big conflict that I now have to deal with. Psychologists call this discounting the future, underweighting the long-term impact and overweighting the immediate reaction to my comment or question. There's a paragraph in the book that is just so on point, so I'm gonna read it to you verbatim. Don't wanna look ignorant? Don't ask questions. Don't want to look incompetent? Don't admit mistakes or weaknesses. Don't want to be called disruptive? Don't make suggestions. While it might be acceptable at a social event to privilege looking good over making a difference, at work, this tendency can lead to significant problems, ranging from thwarted innovation to poor service to, at the extreme, loss of human life. So all of this is to say, psychological safety is essential for teams where learning or collaboration is required for success. And it's also essential for teams where errors or failure to follow a practice could have devastating impact. In both cases, we're talking about different dimensions of failure and how we handle them. The author, Amy Edmondson, says there are three failure archetypes. The first, preventable failures, which are never good news. These are deviations from recommended procedures that produce bad outcomes. For example, if someone fails to wear safety glasses in a factory and then suffers an eye injury. The second are complex failures, which are also not good news. And these occur when a series of factors collide in ways that have never happened before. She uses the example of the severe flooding of some subway stations in New York City during Superstorm Sandy in 2012. These types of failures can sometimes, but not always, be avoided. And then there are the intelligent failures, which are not fun, but must be considered good news because they're actually valuable. These are the discoveries that, for example, a marketing language test didn't resonate with an audience or a chemical formula didn't have the efficacy that you hoped for. Although they are still results you didn't want, unlike preventable and complex failures, intelligent failures are actually healthy and should be celebrated because they are the result of a thoughtful foray into new territory where you're going to have to get things wrong in order to get things right. I talk about this in episode 38, How to Unleash New Ideas Through Failure with Jesse Fowle. He explains reframing ideas into experiments and failures into learnings. This requires generating a smart hypothesis so that you can run a test and measure the results. And then the failure becomes a source of data, which is equally as valuable as succeeding. And both are integral to winning in the long run. All right, now let's talk about how to build psychological safety amongst your team members so that people will take risks, they will speak up when they notice a mistake, They will ask questions for clarification or offer a dissenting viewpoint. First up is what Jesse did, framing. How are mistakes and failures and dissenting views seen within your team? It often depends on the type of work that your team is responsible for. For highly repetitive work, like in a factory or a food service, the frame may need to be an emphasis on quality, like preventing those preventable failures. Speaking up when you catch a mistake made by yourself or a colleague is appreciated because you helped avoid a quality reduction. For innovation work, where there's no obvious direct line to achieving the outcome, the reframe is encouraging ideas even when there's high uncertainty as to whether these are good ideas. This is about generating ideas so you can try things out and make small intelligent failures where learning what doesn't work moves the team towards discovering what does. For other complex work, it may be reframing concerns or questions as, quote, rigorous thinking. In episode 18, Culture Change in High-Performing Teams with Wes K.O., she talks about this powerful combination of rigorous thinking plus psychological safety. In essence, the idea of asking a clarifying question or wanting data to back up someone's opinion or voicing a concern is not about being obnoxious, but rather helping the team achieve its goal of thinking rigorously before making decisions or taking action. Another reframe is that problems, failures, or mistakes are not to be blamed on an individual, but rather an opportunity to discover a better way. The author also suggests to focus on purpose and remind people what's at stake. It may not be life or death like in a hospital, but it should be compelling. For example, if we wanna stay relevant to our customers, we need to be trying new things. Or if our goal is to offer top-notch customer service, We need to identify when there are gaps in our processes in order to keep our ratings up. Keeping an eye on the purpose will also help people move through the challenging moments by giving them an excuse to lean on. Framing and purpose are not something you do once and then check off your list. It is a continual process of framing and reframing, reminding people of the purpose over and over again and embedding these ideas into people's mindset. In all these cases, whether it's speaking up about a mistake, giving feedback, Voicing a concern or sharing an idea, the act of speaking up is really only the first step. The true test is how the leader responds when people actually do speak up. If a boss responds with negativity, dismissal, or anger, any psychological safety that existed before will basically vanish. A productive response must show appreciation even if you disagree, and it should be respectful and offer a path forward, meaning, what are you going to do with that comment or question? Lastly, you can role model by being vulnerable yourself. There's a common misconception that bosses have all the answers and that by saying, I don't know, you're showing weakness when in fact, the opposite is true. When you make space for others by saying, I don't know, you're demonstrating that you value and need their voices, that they have a crucial perspective or insight to contribute. To encourage others to speak up, you must be crystal clear in your ask and invite their response through proactive inquiry. Ask specific people for their input or design a meeting around a specific question for the group to brainstorm on. Try asking a variety of questions like, what do you wish would have happened? Or how might X go better next time? Or what other ideas do you have? You can also ask people to surface concerns by asking, what could go wrong? Or what haven't we considered yet? Or what's not working for you? Again, it's important to respond with appreciation for whatever has been shared in order to encourage future speaking up. And when a new idea or experiment doesn't work out, take time to discover the learnings and celebrate what comes out of that as a way to destigmatize failure. Lastly, if someone is intentionally violating procedures, norms, values, or those agreed upon processes and it's causing errors or failure, that is not about psychological safety. That is poor behavior, and you must respond appropriately, which could be punishment of some sort. But along that process, you can still come to it with a sense of curiosity about why the violations are occurring to begin with. Is the process too burdensome, so someone's cutting corners? Or are you under resourced? Or is this person just not a good fit for the role? The message must be it is okay to make a mistake, and it is okay to have a differing opinion. It's even okay to work in different ways than other people. What is not okay is to skirt your responsibilities or to go around processes without speaking up about why they're not working for you or how to improve them. So, bringing this all back together, the author Amy says, and I quote, interpersonal fear is never particularly helpful at work. While it can be motivating to be afraid of missing a deadline, afraid of failing the customer, or afraid of the prowess of the competition, Being afraid of one's boss or colleagues is not only unhelpful in an environment where technologies, customers, and solutions are in flux, it's downright risky. We all know that work is complicated and hiring talent simply isn't enough anymore. People have to feel comfortable and confident that their talent is appreciated, that their perspective is valued. As managers, if we want people to flourish, if we want to unleash their potential, we need to create an environment that allows them to do so. Psychological safety is what makes integrating diverse knowledge and perspectives and skills possible. It's what enables teams to think big and be nimble and deal with conflict and give and receive feedback and so much more. Developing psychological safety isn't easy or fast, but it may just be the best thing that you can do as a manager. Again, if you want to learn more, check out the book, The Fearless Organization, Creating Psychological Safety in the Workplace for Learning, Innovation, and Growth. By Amy C. Edmondson. She goes into way more detail and gives lots of stories and examples across industries which bring these concepts to life. The free mini guide for today's episode is a description of the three types of failure, so you can introduce this model to your team as you start to encourage people to acknowledge mistakes and destigmatize that innovation type of failure. It is available at mamiekscom mini guides. The full guide for today includes additional questions for reflection to help you get a sense of your team's current level of psychological safety, along with suggested actions for increasing the psychological safety amongst your team members. To get the full guide, join the Modern Manager Community. Go to mamyks.com/join, and for $15 a month, you'll get episode guides and guest bonuses to help you implement the learnings from each episode. You also get access to all the previous guides and bonuses, and there's some really fantastic items. Plus, if you join before June 30th, 2019, you also get two fantastic bonus items. If you just want this episode guide or any other episode guide, you can now purchase them at mamykscom slash store. All of these links are in the show notes and they're in your inbox along with that free mini guide if you subscribe to my newsletter, which you can do so at, big surprise, maymeks.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time